Hey friends, I hope you're doing well. I, uh, I'm sitting down with TJ in the office today and he's got a video that we're gonna watch and I've seen it once and I remember it being something worth talking about. So I'm kind of excited to do this with TJ. Before we get into that, just wanna make sure everybody knows I've started a live stream on Fridays at four o'clock central time. That's where I'm at. And if you enjoy talking about Methodist stuff and reading over stuff with me, then I'd urge you to get on YouTube or Facebook and join me on whatever Friday's coming up you have free. So um, the only other thing, I, I wanted to pitch this video in a, a way that helps it make sense because I'm not interested in the um, just making digs at people or movements for the sake of it, for the sake of clicks. The way that I explain what I'm wanting to do here is I've, I've done pieces on the Global Methodist Church and, and hopefulness and optimism about what it could be, what it can be, what it should be, and I, I like doing the positive pieces, but my approach to life is that you need both carrot and stick. You need bad things you're getting away from and good things you're striving towards, and there's a reason why a lot of people have decided to leave the United Methodist Church. There are probably hundreds of reasons that are legitimate as to why you would not want to be part of the United Methodist Church. One of them is its tolerance of heresy, um, and by heresy I mean doctrines that stand against the tradition of the church that are unnecessarily divisive. And so there's a, a whole host of heretical, heterodox beliefs that, that are very comfortable within the United Methodist Church that there is very little pushback on, and in fact a lot of people preaching heterodox beliefs are elevated within the United Methodist Church. So today we're going to talk about one of these leaders, one of these churches that is preaching doctrines counter to the historical witness of the church and are a big part of the reason why people like me have wanted to leave. It's because voices like this, insights like this, have found a happy home in the United Methodist Church, and whenever the doctrines of devils are, are comfortable in churches, that's when I have to get away from those churches. So, um, like I said, I've seen this once before. It was a couple months ago. TJ, how about you go ahead and tell us who we're listening to and any other helpful information on the front end that that people should know? Uh, yeah, so this video, yeah, because it's been a couple months since it came out. Um, this is Stephanie York Arnold. She is a uh, pastor in uh, Birmingham, Alabama. Um, she has been a pastor at um, First United Methodist Church in Birmingham, since 2010, um, she was a, a associate pastor until 2018, and then she took over the pastor, the lead pastor role. Um, so we're going over a video where she talks about changes they made to the Lord's Prayer. Um, the only real change I think that uh, they, they they made was uh, the intro. Um, so instead of saying "Our Father who art in heaven," it's "Our Father or Mother or." non-gender specific parental figure, whatever, um, whatever you choose to throw in there. Uh, so she's explaining why they did this, um, which is helpful. I, Do we get I appreciate to actually that. hear the prayer? Um, I don't remember if she actually says it. I don't think she says it in there, uh, the whole prayer. Okay, but like so I said, the only thing they change is the it's the first part of it. The rest of it. Oh, that's it. Same. It's just how they address God. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the it's pronouns. no longer our father. It's our fill in the blank. It, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. So they did this with their their youth, uh, I think, is the original part of it. And, and she explains why. But essentially, some children are uh, have single parent 
homes. Um, well, don't spoil it. Oh, well, don't spoil I mean, it. That's, so, that's it. But that's what it's <laughs> tapping into, okay, so the, the raw nerve that it's already hitting in people like me is ever since the late 1980s, there's been an overt effort to remove masculine language dealing with God. Right. So yeah. titles of father, him, you know, pronouns. The, the, the notion being that in order for people to identify with God, God has to identify with them. And so right. if you limit it to masculine imagery, then it by nature excludes half of the population, which is female. Um, and so they went through the United Methodist hymnal and removed a lot of masculine imagery and pronouns so right. that God could be gender neutral or even feminine sometimes. Yeah, and if you notice, a lot of the bishops will specifically say, like, God's self instead of himself. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really weird thing that I I just recently picked up on. Right. Like, notice it's it's all of them. Like, they all got together in some little dark room and decided to do this. It's weird. It's just weird to me. For, well, some, for it, people that, that... They've done it in the open. I mean, it's been a very public... Right. Whenever I started preaching in Boston, I actually had a lady in the pews come up to me and say, hey, when you're using masculine pronouns for God, that is exclusive. I would encourage you as a member of United Methodist Women to use gender neutral. See, I, I never like heard it until we started doing stuff on the United Methodist Church. But of course, I mean, we're from Oklahoma, and I went to a very conservative... Sure. Uh, Bible college. So. Well, so it's against not just masculine, it's against patriarchy, which is associated with hierarchy. So anything that has to do with better than, worse than, more powerful, less powerful, they get away from. So you'll also, I think you've picked up on sometimes instead of the kingdom of God, they talk about the kingdom of God. I haven't noticed that one. Oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's part of this larger ideology which rejects hierarchy, patriarchy. Um, so kingdom is we're all equals, right? We're all kin. King is a king reigns over us. And so... Masculine head, yeah. Well, yeah, that, so this hierarchy... Just hierarchy Hierarchy is associated general. with patriarchy. Yeah. And so the, the, the inference being that uh, matriarchy, rule by women, is much more egalitarian and there's room for everybody. Even though you find where women invade spaces, men pull back. Yeah. You know, that's that's what we find. And then they say, what's wrong with you men? So anyway, that that this is a, a female clergy that is going to participate in the further evolution of the interruption of a, a traditional patriarchal, hierarchical understanding of God as they pray to him. Right. Right. And 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 just to be clear, we're not specifically picking on Stephanie York Iron. I literally watched a uh, another random United Methodist video, not even pertaining to this where she was talking about the the Holy Spirit being a she. Mm-hmm. And she just like used, she said, uh, I don't remember exactly how she phrased it, but uh, used she pronouns for the Holy Spirit. Just like didn't even skip a beat, just blew on right through it. And I'm mm-hmm. like, whoa, hold on, that's weird. So it's not just her. Like this is just rampant throughout progressive Christianity in general, not even just the United Methodist Church, but... Um, so we're not specifically picking on her. She just happened to be somebody that posted a video explaining why she did it. So. Yeah, we've we've already done videos like this where Adam Hamilton, for example, is an avatar for a, a whole ideology. You, you have to you have to use specific faces and voices that are talking about things in order to say, hey, this is real stuff. This is not just theory. This is what people actually believe. Within her uh, conference, the North Alabama Conference of the United Methodist Church, they've lost 51% of their churches so far. She is 
probably one of the biggest leading voices in that conference now. So this is not just some random person off in the sticks. She's in the middle of a big urban area carrying a lot of influence. And then so as she's interrupting these traditions, the reasons why the reasoning she uses matters. And so, yeah, let's go ahead. We've, we've, we've pitched this enough. Let's watch for a little bit, and then I'll pause it, and then we'll watch for a little bit. It's like a six-minute clip. Hi, I'm Stephanie York-Arnold, and I'm the senior pastor at Birmingham First United Methodist Church here in Birmingham, Alabama. So I gave up social media for Lent. And while I did, apparently there were aspects of First Church's prayers and worship services that made some waves. Over a month ago, a woman from Texas called our church who had seen a post on social media saying that our church prayed the Lord's Prayer using language that included both father and mother. When she asked me if this is how we prayed, I answered politely that yes, we do. But then I asked her if she had the time for me to tell her how we got to where we are today. I am so grateful that she did. I explained to her that years ago, our church's youth group joined together with another church's. Now, our church is largely a white, middle-class, suburban congregation that comes to downtown Birmingham for worship. And we had joined in partnership with a congregation nearby that was largely African-American in a lower-income part of our town. Together, our two youth groups became really, really good friends and ended up doing most of our programming together. One such programming experience was something called Discovery Weekend, where our senior high students, along with their adult youth leaders, lead a formative spiritual retreat weekend for middle school students. The theme that year that they chose to focus on was prayer, and the Lord's Prayer was to be the main scriptural text for the weekend. Over the weekend, the students would come together in small groups, and they would study prayer. One of the group activities that we asked them to do was to rewrite the Lord's Prayer in their own words. All right, let's camp out for just a minute. Uh, what, are, what are things that we're critically picking up on? I, I'll tell you what I'm critically picking up on. Uh, the, the background music is emotional. This, this light yeah. piano music, is, it's, it's disarming you emotionally. And then... Um, she's acknowledging a conflict. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Yeah, we, we changed something. But then um, one of the things that I'm, I'm thinking she's dropping that you're supposed to be picking up on is, hey, we're partnering with lower income, different socioeconomic groups. Well, yeah, she specifically said majority African-American yes. and poor. So yeah. uh, automatically she's kind of grouping. I mean, the, the, the single motherhood rate in, in the, the black community is is larger than the white community for sure. Well, let's come back to that. She's so the reason I'm there's when you're only correcting white people, you can be confident. But in the age of intersectional politics, if you're correcting a a, a practice of another ethnic group uh, that is especially a lower socioeconomic ethnic group, then you are a racist. And so there is this kind of mentality. I I think I think one is positioning this she's positioning this to say, hey, listen, if you have a problem with this, you have a problem with black people as such, especially if you have like this racial essentialist um, view, like where to be black in America is for your parent primarily to be a mother. That is the black experience. Yeah, I guess that's an underlying thing that she's doing and I, I didn't really pick up on. 
And it could be that she doesn't have that in her heart at all. I don't know. But that's if, if the intention of this video is to persuade people, you use what tools at your disposal you have to change someone's mind. So well, there's one. this person who took offense, and she made herself vulnerable to me, and here's, while there's emotional music playing, here's how I explained it so that she could have some empathy, and maybe you, viewer, can have some empathy and see that your bigoted, contained views of God also could be subject to change out of pity for those who don't identify with it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. We'll see. I, I don't remember all the steps she takes, but this is the environment we're in. We're right. dealing with kids, vulnerable population, African American, lower socioeconomic. We we automatically want what's good. I mean, we want what's good for all kids, but especially for the least of these as we understand it. All right. Which was meant to help them understand what the prayer was all about. Then during our church-wide prayer service, the small groups shared their rewritten Lord prayers. They were beautiful. They were heartfelt. And they all began our father-mother. Now maybe you're wondering why. Well, these groups had studied the intent of the original language when Jesus said, Abba. And they understood that Jesus was intentionally using ten... I got, I got to stop there. Jesus only calls our Father, Abba, once. Um, no, not specific instance. And yeah, it's not in that prayer. In that prayer, it's pater. Well, it's the Greek is pater. The Aramaic, I forget what it is. But uh, Abba, the, the intimate language, is not used in the setting of that formal prayer which he introduces in the Sermon on the Mount. So they've already conflated. They, they've been playing fast and loose with scriptures or explaining the scriptures to these students. But also there's something, something fundamentally wrong Okay, so there's, there are two different ways of coming at Scripture. One is, there is meaning in the Scripture that I need to make myself less so that I can come closer to it. It's an objective standard by which I am measured, and so I need to be less, shut myself down so that I can approach that and get things from it. The other is, this scripture is here for me, and so it needs to make sense to me. So I bring my own set of baggage and meanings, and so as I come to the scriptures, I am licensed to then put the scriptures in my own language. And so that's what they've come to these students with is, hey, Jesus gave us this prayer so it means something to you. We're going to give you a few basic facts about it, and then you put it in your own language. Yeah, and I think it's kind of it's it's odd that... Um she says that all of uh, all of their prayers start with that, which kind of makes it sound like they they had a little bit of influence on that. Like it's very hard to believe that they all did that exactly. without any prompting. Yeah, that's just if it's like eighty percent, then yeah, that's well, interesting. Um, but if it's a hundred percent, weird, a weird. So sorry about the kids in the background. We're in a small <laughs> church. <laughs> um, so okay, yeah, we're it, it, yeah. It's it's she's presenting a story as though they just all happen to use the same language. That's very hard to believe. But secondly, the whole exercise has started off with an implicit hermeneutical lens, which is not exegetical; it's eisegetical, where we're putting our own meaning into it, and so we're feeling comfortable. When you're feeling really comfortable putting scripture in your own words, like okay, it is important to let scripture flow out of you and not be so strict that you can't get one word off. But it's another thing, when you've just only gotten an introductory level exposure to scripture and they're telling you, go ahead and put it in your own words. Let's see what happens. Oh, it's wonderful. It's beautiful. Yeah, and that's I, I just kind of 
insulting to the original writers, I guess, at least in my view, um, that it's not good enough the way it is that I have to change it to what I think is better. Well, like so much is weird... lost in translation anyway. So when you think about you and I speak the same language and just figuring being on the same page between the two of us sometimes is so hard. And when you have 2000 years of cultural difference, it's a different original language then we have to work very hard to make sure that we're understanding Scripture correctly. So right. it's one thing if I'm saying, hey, TJ said this thing to me earlier today, and I put it in my own language, that's fine. You know, One, you're not Holy Scripture, but two, you and I are on the same wavelength. Scripture is a heavenly text from another culture, and so we have to treat it with much more care and respect than any other written text, than any other words. And so whenever you're coming, uh, someone is bringing you to the scriptures and saying, hey, man, makes sense to you. Put it in your own language. You haven't done any scripture study. You haven't read the whole corpus. of. You can just look at this one point, part and put it in your own language. Go ahead. Have fun. Oh, you're teaching us now, and we're going to revise our entire liturgy based on your insights from a, a couple days of being introduced. It's just a very silly and strange way to be. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm really just really particular about Bible translations in general. And this is not. Yeah. This is just kind of a, a vein that, it, it's a pet peeve. So like, ooh, a pet peeve. Yeah, yeah, like the Passion Translation, hot garbage. That is hot garbage. Yeah, yeah if you like the Same Passion Translate, you are in, in a world of trouble. That was my concern with the Common English Bible too. That was the United Methodist was plugging that for a bit, and their tagline was like, "Hey, we got plumbers in on this, and like electricians, working class people oh, who really? put it in their own language." And for people like me, it's like, I don't that yeah. is not a selling point for me. No. So anyway, let's know, let's let's get back into the video for a minute. Familial language to open the disciples' imaginations and hearts to the intimate way that the divine loves us as a heavenly parent. However, for our students who are from all over Birmingham, different areas, different racial backgrounds, different socioeconomics different experiences, they realized that not every one of them had a loving father, or matter of fact, a loving mother at home. And so they decided they wanted to expand the language to include both fathers and mothers in the hope that we might all connect with at least one parent in the way that Jesus was sharing in the Lord's Prayer. As they led us in prayer and they shared their personal stories, we felt the Holy Spirit lead us to do as Jesus instructed, which was to let our children lead us, knowing that both he... Did Jesus say that we should let children lead us? Yeah, no, that's... Uh, I don't know the specific scripture that she's referring to, but the only one I can think of is, uh, let the little children come to me. Yeah. Which... Anyone who does not receive as a child is not going to be welcome in the kingdom of heaven. What's the exact phrase there? It's been a minute. It's, uh, it's okay if we don't have it, but yeah, Jesus does cast a favorable light on children. Sure. But to say that that means that children should lead the community of faith seems yeah, a bit no, of a stretch. That just makes Timothy sound weird. Like, <laughs> oh, no, well, not getting, let's not get into that. <laughs> That's a whole other discussion. Well, okay, so... And then I, I knew one of the points I wanted to make was there is this, so we talked about the exegesis, eisegesis thing. There's also this, as you come to the scriptures, how much of your own 
life that is normal to you can you rightly put on the scriptures? And so when the normal state of affairs is that a lot of kids do not have a loving father at home, but the intent is when they say this prayer, they should be identifying. You know, this goes back to, I think, Sigmund Freud noticed that um, one's relationship with God, their father, seemed to have a pretty close connection with the relationship to their own father. And so if you don't have a good relationship with your own father, then are you within your rights to tether the idea of God not to your father, but to your mother? And in this age where we've made sex or gender indistinguishable from each other, the men and women are, are essentially the same within the body of Christ, then are we right to, to see God not as explicitly masculine, but if, if your notion of a parental figure is feminine, to change the title and change the pronouns, the inference on her end is, yeah, clearly the intention is that we are praying to a deity who loves us and is powerful and is our parent. Well, so. you notice the language she used again, the divine. Um, uh, she she used the divine instead of God, which is just a gender-neutral thing. I, I think, like, my biggest issue with it is is to think that there weren't people in the crowd that didn't have like a father or a, mm-hmm. a mother, like a didn't have some kind of strenuous relationship with a parent mm-hmm. when Jesus is preaching this and saying and giving this to them. It's that's weird. Like it's just a, a, a modern issue. Yes. Like surely there were people in that crowd that didn't have a loving father or a loving mother. And Jesus said, The crowd at the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, yeah. yes, exactly. And I'm I'm sure that wasn't the only time he preached it. He went around telling this to everybody. Sure. Um, But just to think that that's just a modern modern issue. Yeah, back in the day, everybody had loving fathers. But nowadays, not everybody has loving fathers, so we need to augment that. That, That's that's fundamentally flawed at its premise. Right. Well, and I would say in, in the context of Jesus' ministry, a, a father's lovingness was not really... I mean, that's that's particular to our time and place that fathers are expected to be loving. In in an ancient culture, a father is expected to be a disciplinarian. Oh, yeah, is, yeah. Is more... expected to model masculinity and firmness, and then it's the mother who loves and parents. And then one of the amazing things about the father that we have in heaven is not just that he's a disciplinarian, but that that he is our loving father. He is a merciful and gracious father. And that's that's something that is scandalous when God m- maintains his masculinity. Um, that's that's what's unique about the Christian God. Whereas when you say, hey, those are traditionally feminine roles, so God must be feminine as well, you're missing the whole point, yeah. you know, which is a revision of what masculinity looks like within the community of faith. But what's threatening about this, I think, is... So what the Bible does is it presents a normative standard that we are not meeting. Mm -hmm. And so when the normative standard is men are different from women, a male deity is different from a female deity, and and we need to maintain God's masculinity so as to have right relationship with God, that's what I would say, is is that if you're coming to God as a mother, you're not coming to Him for who He is, you know? And and there are people that get ridiculous about it, like, are you saying God has a penis? That's not the point. The point is, when God is a father, that determines, uh, that that assumes a worldview in which fathers are different from mothers. Right. And sociologically, we know this to be the case. Fathers and mothers do different things. They're built differently. And um, I, I was going to bring up this book, Them Before Us, 
Why We Need a Global Children's Rights Movement. The authors are Katie Faust and Stacy Manning. These are two adult women, very intelligent women. I saw them uh, in an interview. I bought this book. I haven't read it yet. But what they say is, we've done enough social science over the last century to know cross-culturally what's good for children. And what's best for children, by a long shot, is a father and mother married in the household. Only one father, only one mother, biological male, biological female. Lots of studies have been done to look at different alternative family units. They are not good for children. And so what do we do with a culture where the majority of children are not being raised in households that are good for them, where they are not close to the ideal? And they open this Bible and they get an ideal for what a father is supposed to look like and the kind of relationship you're supposed to have with a father, and you don't even have a father. And so a lot of people say, well, that's really discouraging. We need to augment the language of the scriptures so that people don't feel immediately discounted when they open the Bible. But what they fail to take into account is in every culture, the Bible steps in and immediately shows people that they are lacking, that their life is not perfect, that things are deeply wrong. And in other cultures, people go, yes, this is God's truth. I need it for my life. I need to change my life as, as much as I'm able. In our culture alone, in Western, very, very spoiled culture, we go, oh, I can't receive this word that, that, doesn't, that makes my life weird or unhealthy. Mm-hmm. I need to hear a word about how my life is, is good. Yeah, it's just to affirm it and not change it at all. As I come to my God, I need to be affirmed. I need to feel that love. I don't feel love if I'm coming in and immediately he's a father and I don't even know how to be with a father. Yeah, Yeah, how can you give examples of something? Um, And I don't know where I was going with that. Well, so, I mean, the thing that I want to validate is you want the scriptures to speak to people. And if they're so foreign to people that they can't even receive it, you're like speaking Latin to them, then what are you doing? But that's what the job of the church is. The job of the church is not to come in and say, we know this is really difficult for you, so what can we change here so that you can understand it better? Here, let us boil it down for you. This is what it's supposed to be communicating. What could it change? Like you've, you've so badly interrupted the interpretive process that you've corrupted the text. The job of the church is to step in and say, okay, I know this is weird. I know our culture is very different here, but here's what you need to understand is our culture is wrong. And what you're growing up in, and yes, love your mother, love your father who's estranged, love your siblings, but what you're growing up in is hurting you even if you don't feel hurt right now. Um, It's unhealthy for you. Even if you don't understand anything different, you were made for something very different. And we want to introduce you to that. And a lot of people are not going to receive that but we're not here. The church is not here for people who are not going to receive it. Our, the church is here for the people God is calling and who know that they need him rather than the blessing on their lives as it is. So there's a sermon for you. <laughs> here, let's go on. Let's, that, I think we can finish this. We'll through see. scriptures and the New Testament, affirm and use masculine, feminine, and non-gendered language for God at different times and recognition that God is inclusive of and well beyond all genders. My Texas friend listened and then said, well, the post didn't share any of that context. She then asked me if we planned to stay United Methodist and I expressed that we did as long as the United Methodist Church had plans of including churches like ours that welcomed all people. She shared that she'd been struggling because you see her church was considering leaving the United Methodist Church. 
She explained that she was really tired of misinformation that's just floating around and often floating around on social media. And that's why she decided to just pick the phone up and call. I thanked her for doing her own homework and for listening to our church's story. Now she said she wasn't sure she agreed with me on everything. And she didn't personally love the idea of changing language in scripture. And then she chuckled and said she didn't really like that her pastor called God daddy either. I told her I understood. We talked some about how we're all in fact reading scripture that's been changed from the original since most of us don't read Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. Then we ended our conversation with an appreciation for each other, even though we didn't still see things in exactly the same way. It was a meaningful conversation for me because it could have simply been a contentious and difficult phone call with each of us drawing back into our corners. Instead, it reminded me of how we don't have to agree on everything nor do we have to use the same language for God to connect with one another in helpful, healing, and loving ways. Connection doesn't have to mean agreement. Disagreement doesn't have to be mean. We don't have to act in harmful or divisive ways. Using inclusive and expansive language for God doesn't have to be threatening, as it too is orthodox and not heretical. It's simply one way to make room for all people to find and use language that helps them connect with the love of Christ in their context through their own lived experiences. It's Wesleyan and United Methodist to its core as it embodies the charge to keep we all have to serve this present age. And it deeply honors the important work of one of our general agencies, the Commission on the Status and the Role of Women. When I think back on this woman's faithful courage to pick the phone up and our conversation that followed, it just feels like grace. And my friends, I wish we would all lean more into that grace when we don't understand one another than we do into finger pointing. Well, so the inference at the end there being if you're pointing fingers at me or what I'm saying and you have a problem with it, then you're participating in the problem of division and misinformation in the church, I think. Is that one conclusion we're supposed to come away with? Yeah, I guess. I like I I, I appreciate that she explained it. Um, I don't think it's uh, helpful for people to just to get angry and not actually go and understand the other side and where they're coming from. Like, I, I can understand it and still think you're wrong. Yeah. But you've got to understand it in order to explain why it's wrong and problematic. Well, and anyone who listens to us talk about it on the left, I hope they feel like we are addressing the actual ideas that she presented rather than just reacting to yeah. a bunch of things that we're putting onto it. Like, uh, it, it is hard to take her words in isolation and not impute a whole family of ideas that are in relationship with generating those. She did end up in this last bit that we were watching regurgitate a lot of this, this, you know, God in the Bible, they use language that's not just masculine, but also feminine and neuter, neutral. So we are firmly orthodox as we interrupt a traditional understanding of God as masculine and allow feminine imagery to be used with him. And there's, you know, that's, as with all lies, there's, uh, 
there's some truth involved, you know, otherwise it gains no traction. So yeah, the the non-gendered language that I can think of is they they in, in Genesis um, uh, that he they use specifically, but other than that, oh, there's there's plenty. Um, well, and so like when you brought up the Holy Spirit thing, right? In Greek, um, the 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 pronoun for spirit, pneuma, pneuma is a neuter n- neutral word. In a lot of languages, there are masculine, feminine, right. and sometimes neutral words. Pneuma is uh, English is the outlier whenever it comes to right. gendered language. And so what what a lot of people do is say, okay, well, since the language was gendered in that way, then the Holy Spirit is gender yeah. neutral. And uh, they dealt with this in the, the ancient church. They said, no, the, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all masculine, and we are the feminine. You know, and you and I are actually males, but as members of the body of Christ, the, the bride of Christ right, is right, feminine. Right. And so that's how this, and this is something that is not palatable to a modern ear because we want to say men and women are essentially the same and there are not different roles for, but when you read your Bible, it's very clear God is masculine, we are feminine, there's a, a complementarian relationship between us and God, and that all disappears whenever you interrupt God's. Uh, gender as masculine, which this preacher and a lot of other preachers are just fine with. They don't need that complementarian relationship. They don't see beauty in that. Um, but the I, other underlying worldview is that men and women are essentially the same. Yeah, and they can—they're just interchangeable. Yes, which is what's the what is, that's the whole problem with this. Well, that's that laid the groundwork for the transgenderism stuff that our society is going through right. in general. So to act as though this is just a, an inconsequential idea that has no other uh, byproduct other than helping poor black kids better identify with God, to act as though these things are all disconnected is, is silly. And Everything is connected. A modern problem. I'm not saying that revising God language in the United Methodist Church directly caused the transgender craze in America, but I am saying there is this whole communal conversation going on, societal conversation going on all the time where thousands of ideas come and mix together, and United Methodist Church played its part in advancing a certain ideology around how men and women interact in society as a whole that that is still an experiment um, and doesn't necessarily cohere with other cultures that have received the scriptures. Um, I, I, the, the other feminine language that's been used about God in the Bible, Jesus himself compares himself to a, how like a mother hen I've wanted to take you as chicks under my wings, but you were not willing. So right. there's, and throughout the Psalter, there are many uh, images of God that are feminine and, and nurturing and um, so the, a lot of people look at that and impute that God is gender neutral or gender fluid. Well, or just because like specific that. traits can be gender doesn't mean that's implying that God's right. a female. Well, so yeah, the second way feminism said you can be a, a masculine woman, you can be a, an effeminate man, but just because a man likes wearing pink doesn't mean that he's actually a woman, right. you know. But what's transgenderism has done is said, hey, does your boy like pink? Does he like playing with Barbies? Probably Might a be female. a girl. Yeah. Does your girl like playing with trucks? Might be a boy, you know. And so it's this very regressive gender stereotype thing that I would say the Bible frees us from. We have a God who is a father, but he is very comfortable doing things that our cultures might say are feminine because God is not determined by us. We are determined by God, God who self-identifies as masculine. The other thing that we should highlight about her is um, she says, you know, it, it's it's okay to make these changes because 
changes have already been made. We don't know the original Aramaic, uh, Greek, um, Hebrew. So the, the changes have already been made, so we can make more changes. And I would say, no, actually, the fact that there's already been change should make us very reluctant to change anymore out of concern that we've already changed things that shouldn't be, be yeah, changed. Yeah, words, words have meaning, and the authors have a, an original intent, and mm. to go and change that is... It's very dangerous. Yeah. Oh man, it's uh, it can really cause harm. If words have meaning, then they have consequences. And those if there if there are consequences to how we live and how we are in relationship with God, then this is something that we should be very anxious about. Anytime we're changing scriptural language, we should be very anxious about that because these things have consequences. The the other fundamental thing that I think she exposes as at play in the United Methodist Church and why people like me needed to go is for her and for many others, it is not important to be of one mind, that we can disagree on very fundamental things and still make room for one another. You know, so she's saying, I want to stay in the United Methodist Church if it still makes room for people like me. She would say, I have orthodox beliefs. I very much disagree with that. But um, to say that the task of the church is not to be of one mind, but to make room for one another, I would say is an unscriptural way of understanding what the scriptures point to, which is we need to have the mind of Christ. We're yeah. called to 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 say the same things, to believe the same things. I mean, scripture is very explicit about that, and we're we're not fighting for that anymore. You know, she she doesn't have a problem with disagreement, but I think she does have a problem with you should agree with me. I'm going to persuade you, and we need to be of one mind on this. I think she and most liberals would say no that that that's coercive. That's not a way to be in relationship with each other. So I would just say, I'm I mean, not sure, if you're not interested in being of one mind with all believers, I'm not sure you're a believer. Yeah, and I guess it's like, where's the line at? Um, because whenever you get into uh, issues of salvation and who God is, those are things that we have to be of one mind about, or we're not Christian. <laughs> like... Uh, uh, Paul is very adamant about okay you guys are you guys are getting off off the track here mm -hmm. go back to the original gospel that I I, I preached to you um, you've all got to be on the same mind about that yes like, so where's the line at yeah um, and it's fine that we might have disagreement about you know I I'm I'm more I I don't need people to agree with me on my understanding of God's sovereignty, the Arminian right. reform thing. I can be in, call someone a brother on which, whichever side, and even with infant baptism and s some stuff that's divided people. Right, we 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 get into uh, yeah, you and I yeah. disagree on on certain things about baptism, and I tend to be more reformed yeah. than you are. So I mean, and but as we talk, it's, it's not here's who I am, and you have to accept it. Right. It's okay, we're both seeking the mind of Christ so we can be vulnerable to one another, speak to one another lovingly, but also say, hey, man, I think you need to take this scripture more seriously here, or right. how do you see this? And there's not this, ah, we're just different. We'll make room for each other. There's, there's, you know, We'll end a conversation with the understanding we're going to pick up later and seek right. the mind of Christ more later, and we're doing that with the whole community of people here, and that's the task. But as soon as you get... Uh, if if the liberal mindset is, and I would say the liberal mindset is, here's what people have traditionally believed, and it's not important. We yeah. don't have to. You can call yourself a Christian and not believe these things. 
then I would say that undoes the whole project of the church in any scripturally recognizable sense. I would you agree. agree. <laughs> so we're of one mind in Christ on that. I, I think Christ would agree with that. I think if if words don't have meaning and it's not important that we be of one mind, then I don't think Jesus would have preached anything. You know. So I, I just think if you don't believe the importance of words, and especially what words you use for God, then we're just worshiping different gods. Right. God cares very much how we see him, how we identify with him, and that does require that we revise our own lives, how we see men and women, fathers and mothers, and how we adopt those norms for our lives and let our lives be corrected by that, whether or not that makes any sense to us or the culture around us. That's what's fundamentally at play here, and that all gets completely warped when you do this. I would be curious if she would like consider Mormons um, or Jehovah's Witnesses or uh, Muslims uh, Christians in a sense because or subject to salvation. Yeah, yeah, they've got. Well, I'm sure she's yeah semi-universalist, if not completely universalist. But that's I don't I don't know her, and I haven't watched enough of her videos to, to gather that. But I can I can guess um, because. Yeah, no, that's a that's a fundamental who who is God yeah. issue. Um, so like, again, where's the line? Yeah. Anyways. Well, that's a good place to end it. Uh, was there anything else you were hoping to discuss? I don't think so. I think we, we, as always, we went longer than we thought we would. Yeah, that so. went a little yeah, way longer than I thought. Well, we hope you've enjoyed it, and if you see anything lacking in our theology, you can comment, and we will consider it as fellow brothers in Christ. If you think we've been disingenuous with um, this uh, pastor, I forget her name. Um, then call our attention to that. I never want to be disingenuous. Stephanie York Arnold. Thank you. Um, so we we don't want to be doing this whole uh, patriarchal, we're the men and we say this, and because we say it, it's God's truth. We we both have humility and we can accept correction, but uh, we've yeah, laid it out as... not because she's a woman, it's because her theology's problematic. Right. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there are men that, I mean, Adam Hamilton... Have problematic theology, anyways. So we're 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 doing our best. We we know everybody is supposedly doing their best, but we've got to do better. So uh, we hope this is, has built you up and encouraged you in faith and helped you think through these things. Take some time with it, um, and as uh, we continue to to build up Wesleyanism for the future, I, I pray that we can reclaim some stuff that we we I think we threw the baby out with the bathwater theologically in some ways. So is it worth reclaiming? <sighs> some of the stuff we've thrown out. Let me leave it vague and and broad. All right, um, thanks for all the support and all the love that you guys show. Uh, I hope your life in Christ is blessed, and uh, we appreciate you staying tuned into Plain Spoken, and, and uh, we'll see you later.